Today, we're going to be talking about practical applications for physiotype. Um, we're going to be going through a few different applications. Uh, the first one being security and then HR. Uh, so, you know, HR for businesses, um, hiring employees, whatnot, team management. We're going to go in over matchmaking, uh, marketing, education, self-help and therapy, and then last but not least, business. So, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Colby. Hello. Hey, Alex. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> So I'm going to throw out, you know how I love my caveats. Um, you'll kind of see a theme going with the practical applications. And there's a reason, there's one reason, there's many reasons for it. One reason I, I want to mention up front is um, physiotype is diagnostic, absolutely. Um, but it's not as if it's the most diagnostic thing in the world. You know what's more diagnostic than uh, physiotype? Getting to know someone really well, sitting down with them, asking them very pointed questions. Um, and so physiotype is most relatively powerful, right? When I say relatively powerful, I mean, compared to the other tools you could use to get to know someone, it's most relatively powerful when you have a picture of their face or a video of them, but don't have any other tools to get to know them really well, you know? So like in hiring an HR, you know, you can get someone's resume and look at their Twitter and LinkedIn, but that's not a whole lot of information to get to really know someone. So physiotype's good, right? In matchmaking, maybe you have a hundred pool of possible people. You're not going to enter. You don't want to interview all of them really well, so uh, you rule out the ones that people aren't are definitely not going to have chemistry with using physiotype. Um, marketing, you could use facial recognition algorithms. So once again, it's you'll see this theme going where it's like physiotype is most powerful in these scenarios where you're kind of like ruling people out. You don't have capacity to get to know them and to sit down with them for 15 minutes. So that's kind of what you'll see uh, the practical applications lie there right yes definitely um like you say like i think a really perceptive person is only saving you know 15 minutes half an hour of time by using physiotype over talking to them but on a large scale that 15 minutes can be really valuable so you know physiotype definitely has its place uh to add another caveat before we get into this um like, there's definitely, like, ethical and moral implications to some of these that we have neither thought out nor bothered to try to think out. Um, anyways, we don't know this full the full ethical implications, but ethical implications aside, uh, we think that this can be really valuable in these fields specifically. Yeah, just to pretty much reiterate what you're saying, what I'm what I'm hearing is basically... Um, we're claiming that physiotype is useful for the things we'll talk about in today's episode. We're not claiming that the externalities are worth it. We're not claiming to have any knowledge of the externalities. We're just saying in this narrow scope of like utility in what we're talking about, it definitely could be useful, but like, oh yeah, there's potential for abuse. There's potential for negative externalities that outweigh the, the positive internalities of, uh, how physiotype is used. So take it with the, you know, with that perspective in mind. All right, so security. Get us started with security. I think the first one that most easily comes to mind is like TSA, like screening at airports. Um, 
you know, they do random screenings at the airport. They'll pick ran- a person out at random and they'll give them an in-depth search. Um, this is time-consuming. This costs money to the TSA, to the airport. This costs time to the person that's getting, you know, screened. Uh, but if there was a way to make it less of a random screening using physiotype, using facial recognition, then that could save millions of dollars worth of time and effort and energy uh, in the long run. The reason for this is because TSA is looking generally not for criminals, right? They're looking for people with malintent um, as it relates to airport and airplanes, really. Um, So we've noticed, and we've mentioned this before, the vast majority of um, religious and suicide um, bombers and terrorists are SFPs. Um, Also, this has a special place in my heart. I'm white, but I do look a little bit Middle Eastern, especially when I grow out some stubble. I get a little tan. And uh, (laughs) I have been, quote-unquote, randomly selected probably a little more often than uh, (laughs) than true randomness. (laughs) <laughs> and and if they started using physiotype then that wouldn't be truly random either um we would probably advocate you know and well currently we wouldn't advocate anything but we imagine once our research is done what we would advocate is something like uh if you're going to screen someone just screen sfps like look you're only screening one in 100 people anyways you're very likely to miss people but if Every single one of those 100 people is an SFP. Then you know you've just increased your odds a little bit. So that's that's the kind of uh, recommendations we would make. We 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 uh, anticipate that we would make once we had hard data to support us. Right, right. Again, like this wouldn't be random screening anymore. And you know I could see in a world where physiotype is uh, accepted by the populace, uh, SFPs being upset. Oh, that yeah, they are being that they are being targeted for screening. It's um, it's a terrible I I don't know how you could actually implement this without massive backlash. Any of these things almost. But that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're just talking about <laughs> this narrow scope. <laughs> and so and like in a similar vein, then uh, the NSA and the CIA could use physiotype for something similar. Um, it's a little more fuzzy in their case because they're not looking specifically for terrorists. Um, but, you know, we're speaking in hypotheticals here. Uh, let's say we hypothetically were able to prove that there's never been an NFP to become a spy, for example. Uh, <laughs> then that would rule out, you know, if the CIA is looking for spies in their midst or something, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be looking for the NFP guy that's sitting in the back uh they'd be looking for a different type for example so this this isn't so much like in this case it isn't so much you know which type is most likely to be a spy but rather which types are least likely to be spies and so ruling them out to save time right uh another just random example okay there's this new terrorist cell somewhere uh the the US or the UK is concerned with and so they have their you know facial recognition team and they're like ah there's eight guys who could be the head of this terrorist cell we've narrowed it down 
can you help us narrow it down? And they're like, well, you've got a really supine SFJ in this group. So we'll definitely take that guy out. Um, and so now we've narrowed it down to seven more for you, right? So that's kind of, mm-hmm. once again, the how, how our recommendations would work. It helps narrow it down. Doesn't It's not a magic bullet, but it's, it's one tool that helps uh, narrow things down. Detectives and the FBI? Well, I think we've talked briefly about serial killers, for example, almost, if not always, uh, being STPs. So if, if again, like you were saying, if they've got five guys that were in the right place at the right time with no alibi, but two of them are NTPs and one of them is an STJ, uh, and they could probably rule those people out depending on the nature of the crimes. Um, so yeah, again, it's, it's more of like a, a ruling out process rather than oh, this guy's an STP, so he must be the serial killer. Um, another example, not going to lie, I've been watching, uh, what's it called? Criminal, Criminal Minds. Minds. Quite a lot lately. <laughs> it's a decent show. There's 12 seasons, and I was like, hey, this actually, you know, this is pretty good. Um, I was, of course, devastated to know after I did some research that there is a BAU or something like it in the FBI, but it is nothing like the televised Criminal Minds, BAU, <laughs> much less sexy and exciting. However, the physiotype could still apply to like the BAU and the FBI, for instance, the behavioral analysis unit. So let's say you know um, the subject, you know the um, you know who the uh, person is you're hunting at the FBI, and so now you're just trying to build like a profile. The physiotype could absolutely help with the profile, especially especially that because like once again. If you could interview the guy, you wouldn't need to be hunting him. So um, let's say you have a profile and a picture of someone. Physiotype can help fill out that profile a little bit. It can help out that model. So yeah, same with all of this, right? Like with the NSA and CIA too. Like if they actually know who the target is, like first of all, physiotype helps you narrow down the pool. Second of all, if you know the target, you can you can make your profile a little better. Right, right, for sure. Um, and let's say they already have a profile down for someone and their profile says that this whoever this person is experienced heavy trauma as a child you know i don't know how it really works but that's that they talk about that kind of stuff in tv um hypothetically if we could prove that trauma changes your face and we could procure some childhood photos from someone you could make an argument for oh this person is more looks like they were more likely to have experienced heavy trauma than person b for example so i'm not 100 percent bought in that trauma definitely changes your face but uh, yeah but it could Mm. be it could be right again hypotheticals assuming we prove any of this hr let me start actually (laughs) yeah throw your caveat out first yeah you're like i know i know that i know that tone of voice colby you have another caveat um (laughs) so with hiring people I have not noticed and I don't I don't really believe very strongly at least that any type is definitely better suited for a job or even that any type is less well suited for a job. Um like I'm a software engineer and I've seen software engineers of all types. It's kind of like a hard job, like it's fairly technical, like not everyone can do it. It's not like, you know, it's not like being a surgeon or something, but it's kind of a hard job, sure. But even given that, uh, I have seen programmers and engineers of all types. I've seen SFPs, I've seen local people, I've seen universal people. Um, so 
because I don't strongly think that type is like indicative of whether you can do the job or not, um, we're not going to say that you should just rule out all SFJs or something when you're hiring a programmer or rule out all NTJs because they're too universal when you're hiring a programmer. I don't think we would ever say that. Maybe we would, but that's probably not. So that's why we didn't include that as a method in uh, in uses of HR. I completely agree. And I think I, I do think that you are like, depending on the job, you are more likely to see one type over another. But I don't think that is a... I don't think that is a reason for assuming that other types aren't as successful at those jobs. I think that you could easily pin that down to just being certain types are more likely to be interested in uh, that subject. So like park rangers, for example, in state parks, I probably 90% of park rangers I've seen have been at least like field people have been SFPs. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're always they're always super supine SFPs too. It's great. But the point is I don't think NTPs would make bad park rangers. I think SFPs are predisposed to enjoy going out in the woods for a low pay. Um because they enjoy it so much, you know? It's like park rangers don't don't get paid very well. So the only people who are going to take the jobs are the people who enjoy the job. Right. Not people who are in it for the pay. So it wouldn't really be wise to rule out NTPs. It wouldn't be Right. If an NTP wants even. to wants to like become a park ranger, like if anything I would almost say prioritize them because it would help bring some different perspective. So it's kind of like it's kind of like if you're looking at terrorists, if you have a group of 100 people and you know one of them is a terrorist, Physiotype very well might advocate to get rid of all the SFJs and all the STJs from that group. Like, we're going to say they're definitely not terrorists. But if we do have a group of like 100 applicants, Physiotype probably is not ever going to advocate that you remove any of those applicants based on their Physiotype. There might be a scenario for like a very, very, very specific kind of job. Sure. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but like... Okay, so let, like let's say that next year they hire a new position and it is like philosophy advisor to the president. <laughs> and you have to choose between an NTP and an STJ or like an NTP and sure. An NTP and an STJ. It's like, well, and for pro- some reason you can't interview them for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason you can't interview them. And I'd say probably choose the NTP here or something like, but that's a pretty extreme example, right? <laughs> so with all that said though, I we do believe that there is space in the human resources department for physiotype. Um, that being team dynamics. So let's say, for example, you've got a team of... Um, you've got a team of... Uh, why is it so hard for me to think of a job? Let's do a trade. A trade where you need a team. Bridge builders. <laughs> Well, let's say you've got a small business and you only have the money to hire five employees and your job is to, or your business is to, I don't know, do landscaping. It doesn't matter what the job is. Your business is around to solve a problem. You can fill in that problem with whatever you want, listener. Um, The point here is if you've only got the money to hire five employees, and you already have three employees, and all three of them are NTPs. If your 
business is in the business of solving problems, you might want some more variety in your team. So you might choose to not hire another NTP, for example. You might choose a different type over an NTP. Um, let's say, I don't know, an NFP, for example. Um, you might, depending on the nature of the job, maybe it's a job that requires a lot of local and a lot of universal uh thought process you might choose to hire a mix of universals and locals if you're if it's necessary for your business to run with your employees not asking any questions you might choose to focus on hiring supine types over prone types um there's a lot of applicability here i think the point we're trying to make is that the applicability comes in relation to the other employees not in relation to the specific task yeah, and I think um, I I would say you're mostly talking about intellectual diversity, like different perspectives. And in in addition to that, what's also important I think is the relationship dynamics. So if you have a team of two people and you're the boss, and you have an SFJ and an STP, um, and then now you're hiring one other person, and it's either going to be an SFP or a NTJ. Um, hire the SFP because SFJs and SFPs usually get along pretty well. SFPs and SDPs usually get along pretty well. So now you're now even if you don't care about intellectual diversity or or the way people think, what you're talking what you're thinking about now is just the social cohesion and social dynamics. You always want the people that work together to enjoy each other's company. I mean, most of the time, organizing departments. Yeah, organizing departments as well. Um, if you're looking for someone. Like if you already have a pool of employees and you're looking to to um, promote someone to manager, uh, and you know you're in HR department, so it's not like you actually know the employee super well. If you are in a pinch, maybe choose the employee that looks more prone over the employee that looks super supine. If you want the department to run smoothly, or let's say you're a big company and you have two departments that are the same, I think that can happen. Like just because you you have like two marketing departments, I don't know because. It makes you you need small you you need small groups of departments, but you also need twenty people doing the same thing. So you just make two groups of ten, and they're both performing terribly. Maybe physiotype could help there. Take a look and be like, well, what's what do the social dynamics look like? Should we swap out a few people into? Um, it's the same type of department, but it's a different group, you know. So that that very well might be useful. Yeah, uh, very true, very true. Or if again going back to like intellectual perspective, if you want these two departments, but you want one department to be specialized in one aspect and the other department to be specialized in the other aspect maybe you'd put all the fe people in one group and all the fi people in the other group or all the universals in one group and all the locals in another group or all the metas in one group you know um something like that but that really depends on the context i can't imagine a context where you'd only want universals in one group off the top of my head but i'm sure one exists yeah um i think this we didn't actually discuss um, armed forces, but the way armed forces are recruited, that's probably um, a potential area where a physiotype could be applied. Um, what do you mean? The most important thing, in, like the army, the military. So okay, like, okay, okay. Uh, it's important, right, uh, in wartime to have people who follow orders no matter what. Like... Um, if you have to choose between having 10 smart people who are all super prone and disagreeable 
and make really good decisions on their own and usually make good decisions but aren't very good at following orders and you're going into you know battle and you're the leader and you got 10 of those guys every single time i would go for kind of unintelligent very agreeable people who will just follow orders because there are so many times it's just, it's usually like there are so many times where it is so much more critical to have people following orders than it is for them to be making good decisions like the wrong decision is so often much better than 10 right decisions like if you're the if you're the captain of a ship, it's much more important to have obedient uh, seamen rather than it is to have uh, intelligent seamen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't know. That's you. You get what I'm like. Is that, is that crazy? I think that's right. I'm. I'm just. I'm thinking of like the demographic of people that I've known that have gone into the military, and. It's always been either nice, friendly, super agreeable people, or like crazy STPs that just really want to shoot guns. Yeah, and who do you think that the guys leading them want? They want the good old, the good old agreeable boys who are just going to follow orders, and they can be intelligent, great. But what's more important is just to be agreeable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the intelligence of that STP is like, you know, way up there. Uh, and if for some reason you've got all these agreeable types that are not smart. You still want the agreeable ones in this context. Yeah. Pretty pretty much in any like hierarchical situation where like quick response time is priority. You're gonna yeah. want high agreeability over any other trait. Yeah, I think you worded that perfectly. Um I really love I know we're getting off topic here, but I really love looking at what um government armed forces do and how all their strategies work. Um the reason why I love looking at everything they do is because there is so much politics and BS in almost all sectors in industry and commerce uh, in the modern, in the modern day. And I'm so sick of it. And like so much of success in business and so much success in business is based on politics, not on actually winning, like actually being productive. They want to win politically. Like if you can be, you know, a, ineffective cmo but if you're good at politics and you're confident then you're probably gonna do well um but in military it does not matter in 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 combat it does not matter because it's a matter of life and death and so they figure out how to do the right things their largest incentive is in front of them all the time and it's life and death it's no it's not politics anymore and so i love looking at how the military operates and because because the military does not play politics, at least on the... I'm sure they do to an extent. Not in, the, you, like not in the battlefield. They're it, not playing politics. Let's just put it in a more universal way. Anyone who is actually involved in combat as part of their job, which is you know generally the military, uh, they're going to be less political and more about results and more about the, the best way to do things regardless of politics. So that's why I think Physiotype has maybe a little special place in, in recruitment. Um, anything to add? to military or hr oh um think tanks um i think it's like intellectual diversity is especially important in think tanks because the entire point of think tanks is to come up with good decisions right like you could say that is the case with other businesses but once again i would say think tanks are generally going to be less political and more results oriented so if you really want intellectual diversity you're literally just trying to hire like super smart people you're probably going to be a little more interested in physiotype than if you're just like 
a marketing firm that hires people based on how good they talk. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm sure there's more to be said on think tanks because, like, it depends what the think tank is for. I don't think, I don't think it's always optimal to just have one of every type in a think tank. For example, for sure. I think there's situations where that's optimal, but I think there's other situations where you might only want certain types. Absolutely. Um, I can't think of any specifics at the moment, but I I have I have the feeling that situations exist where having just one of every type is not the optimal um yeah, combination. Definitely agree. I just think uh they're probably they should be willing to consider physiotype. Yes. Because yes, yeah, definitely. Whatever they're whatever their needs are for the thought processes and intellectual abilities of their employees is going to depend on physiotype a little bit. Because the, the interesting thing about physiotype is it's not just like what makes it a little different from like just interviewing something, interviewing someone is that you're kind of predicting what kind of solutions they can think of. It's no longer like, what have they thought of before? It's what are they capable of thinking of? So, I mean, like going back to like Einstein, for example, being NI heavy and his his NTP counterparts at the time, um, you know, on paper, I can't think of any other like physicists names, but like on paper, you know, Einstein is a physicist. This NTP guy is also a physicist. Feynman is an uh, NTP. Use him. Perfect. Um, what was his name? Feynman. Richard Feynman. I don't know if it's Feynman. Feynman or Feynman. I think it's Feynman. Richard Feynman. Feynman. All right. I'll go with Feynman. Uh, you know, Einstein discovered all this cool stuff. Feynman discovered all this cool stuff. So why would why would you need both of them? Like on paper, they they might seem like equivalents. However, you know, understanding physiotype and, of course, understanding now the history behind the two of them, you can see how they came to conclusions in different ways, perhaps one more quickly than the other, perhaps in different contexts. Um, So while maybe both of them could have come to the same conclusion. hmm, Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to think of a way to word it. I think you're trying to provide a justification for why diversity matters, but I think it's a... It's a general, I just think you hardly need just, I I think it's most people agree that intellectual diversity is probably better in general, but. Yeah. Yeah. Like one type might be more prone to miss something than another type. And if you have, if you have an NI person and any person at the same table, then they're not going to miss anything. Hypothetically. It's the, it's the very high level, very true adage don't put all your eggs in one basket that's all it is and that principle applies Mm -hmm. to almost everything and so intellectual diversity is the same thing uh don't put all your eggs in one basket like ceteris paribus all other things being equal maybe you don't know that it's gonna be better but it's probably safer just to spread out your physiotypes a little bit in your in your pool of workers yeah yeah unless you know otherwise right right yeah you're covering your bases you don't know what you don't know yeah, for, so if you, if you truly don't know what type is best for the job and they're all equally suited, then you should diversify, right? Because you just you're just spreading it out. But 
But then once you start to know, oh, okay, this guy's NTBs are definitely better for this. STJs are definitely better than that. Then sure, you can diversify less. But until then, diversify by default. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, matchmaking. Yeah. I feel like the listener is probably assuming that. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to say what the listener is assuming. Don't let me assume what they're assuming. Don't let them put words in your mouth, listeners. <laughs> that have it. Um, <laughs> it would be safe to assume that we were going to talk about, you know, what type works better with what other type. And I think that is a valid use of physiotype for matchmaking. However, like if Colby and I were talking a bit before the show and we were talking about how people typically date the same one or two types even if in theory they would work well with many different types so our thought here is rather than to say oh alex is an nfp nfps go great with sfps ntps ntjs and nfjs so we'll just match him with those four types instead of doing that we would ask alex to provide a few pictures of his of his previous relationships and type them type his exes and then base who we match him with from that. Right. And like, for instance, in this uh, specific scenario, uh, Alex doesn't have any previous exes. So we just ask, you know, <laughs> which which actresses we thought were the hottest. <laughs> Don't believe him. Don't believe him, guys. No, that's that's a <laughs> it's a jab. But it's also that's one thing we might do as well is ask them what uh, actresses or actors they find attractive. And uh, also... I mean, we've been surprised a few times in the past of, you know, SFPs that have only dated NFJs and vice versa, especially SFPs and NFJs. I think they're the ones that for some reason. Anyways, that's something that just looking at the model, we wouldn't predict easily. So, you know, we might run into an NFP that only wants to date STPs and he's previously had great relationships with them. So we have no reason to assume that the chemistry he's feeling is wrong. We're not going to impose that he only date N- NTPs, for example. Uh, we would cater to that because we believe that that would provide the best results. I guess I want to walk the, the listeners through what me and Alex have already talked about and how we would actually um, help matchmakers. So this is actually, funny enough, matchmaking is the vertical that Alex and I have considered most seriously uh, breaking out into. Um, and so we already kind of have a, a basic model of how it works. So there's a matchmaker, right, that already exists. Me and Alex are matchmakers, of course. Of course we're not. <laughs> but we are physiotype experts. And so what we do is we go to the matchmaker. She has a client, right? She has a pool of potentials maybe. And then so what we do is we say, okay, matchmaker, give us all the photos of the exes of your client. And so high-level framework physiotype would say that any given type is can have a chemistry with like four or five other types. That's that's like half of the that's half of the types. So we would look at the X's to see if we can narrow that down, um, which you usually can if you look at a bunch of X's. Um, and then of course we'd actually just type the client themselves so that we know what their general the the, the main four, and then we type the X's and hope to try and narrow that down. Right, right. We we also want to type the client because we are matching other people to that client. So we're going to try to find someone who is also interested in our client's type. 
and then we'd um we'd type the pool of people or just do it in reverse now without the other people who are the the matchmakers clients um and that's the general process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so you type the x's you type the client you type the pool so you know colby colby all his x's have been sfjs uh we find out he's an ntp we find out that there's four sfjs in our pool that have only typed ntps we pick one of them for colby right and then of course because we're not matchmakers we would just be narrowing the pool for the matchmaker um and then letting the matchmaker themselves decide yeah yeah based on interest or whatever it is that they use and let's say alex has only ever dated women who have hurt him then we just no i'm just kidding (laughs) not on air colby come on (laughs) (laughs) okay cool marketing marketing um i'll start on that one um so let's talk about digital marketing first um with digital marketing um you have a very low cost per impression or cost per click compared to other types of marketing um and your ads are being seen by you know hundreds thousands or millions of people um so what we need here is a facial recognition algorithm which so obviously we already have decent facial recognition AI, um, but you would just um, create an AI, uh, a facial recognition AI that types people uh, into one of the eight or sixteen categories of physiotype, um, and then as an advertiser, like on Facebook ads, you know you can select what kind of people you want to market to. You can even say show this ad to people who are likely to click on it, or show this ad to people who are likely to buy. Um, so in this case, there would just be like a little Dropbox that just says, show this ad to STPs, show this ad to SFPs. Or Facebook could say, would you like us to figure out what types to show your ad to? And then they would like look at your industry and your price point and stuff. And then the AI would be like, okay, we're going to market to SFJs, NFPs, and NTJs or something like that. Oh, and then the, the other one is like, um, there's other types of marketing where the impressions are extremely high value, like several hundred dollars. So this would be something like where you have a business that provides an extremely expensive high value service and your pool of potential targets is 30 ceos across the usa and you're just like you're doing really expensive campaigns for each ceo or something um you would want physiotype to tell you um which ceos were definitely not going to go for the idea or how you should tailor your uh high value campaign to specific ceos and that we could even do that consulting, like personally, that would probably be worth it for, for like these, these companies that do that kind of marketing. I have lots of experience in marketing, so I suppose it's apropos. Yeah, yeah. I have like no experience in marketing, so. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at sales, but I do have digital marketing experience. Um, mm-hmm. I also uh, have no formal education. And so that's why Alex will uh, take us into the next one. Education. <laughs> I will say, I will say before we get into education, uh, this doesn't really actually, you know what, what it could apply to is car salesmen. But the thing is they, they, they're already so good at this that they probably wouldn't even need physiotype. But what I was thinking was say, if we do prove that certain types are more likely to spend more money on the same item than other types, um, a car, a car salesman, for example, could see, I don't know, this is completely hypothetical. We don't have any reason to believe this, but like, say like SFPs are more likely to spend money, like too much money on a vehicle than uh, STJs, for example. And 
this car salesman sees this SFP kid coming up to him, he might, based on that alone, just go ahead and overvalue the car by $3,000 and get results from that. And if an STJ comes and he knows if he overvalues the car, that'll just turn the STJ off and he'll walk off, then he might go ahead and just shoot lower just from default before even you know, having a chance to talk to the guy. Yeah. Does no, that make sense? 100% it does. That's a... Uh... Okay, so yes, education. Thank you to everyone who's on Patreon. We appreciate your support. Um, the fact that you guys are willing to pledge uh, a specific amount of money each month is incredibly motivating to us. Um, if you'd like to join Patreon, there is plenty of perks to doing so. Uh, you guys get first look at the episodes. You guys get a say in what we talk about in when we ask for uh, subject suggestions. We put our blog posts on Patreon first. But if you're not able to join, that's fine. Everything that's on the Patreon eventually makes it out to the public. Um, well, except for the posts and pre-shows. But other than that, everything makes it out to the public. So if you're not able to join at this moment, that is fine. Don't worry about it. You will not be missing out. But this is our way of saying thanks to the people who are able to support us. So, again, thanks, guys. Um, There's a few different ways that this could be ap applied to education. The first one that I thought of was, like, dystopian future your career path is chosen from birth. There's literally movies about that, right? I, I'm trying to think of this one movie I saw. And yeah, it was basically you're born like some orb tells you what job you're going to be in and you join that tribe or whatever. It's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think this is like, I don't think in people intuitively, intuitively enjoy this idea. Uh, but we're going for practical applications here, not not enjoyable application so yeah i think it would be useful i don't think it would be great but i think it would be useful um but there are there are other systemic systematic applications for this that i think are better uh for example let's say we've got this little ntp kid that is not doing very well in his kindergarten class and we take a look at the teacher and we find out the teacher is like super hardcore sfp maybe we would move the student to uh to a teacher that also has any and can so can communicate and communicate uh information in kind of a similar way to what the child would be more likely to be able to digest um things like that things like that like if we've got this sf this little sfp girl that it just cannot pay attention in class whatsoever. We might take that kid away from the NTP teacher and move her over to the, uh, I don't know, the STP teacher or the SFP teacher, for example, to see if we get better results. Uh, and I predict that you would get better results. I have not seen anecdotal evidence for that or any evidence for that, but that would be my prediction off the top of my head. It's... Yeah, entirely possible. So you kind of you're kind of talking about like individual level placement here. So it's like a student struggling. Let's say that you know schools have things in place like this. Like my mom was a special ed teacher. Um, I think I'm really the person that inspired her to do that. Um, 
and so when a kid is having trouble, like, yeah, the teachers talk about it. They think, what do they do? Should we move them into special ed or into the resource class? Um, and so you could have like a little committee, you know, and you could be like, oh, whenever there's a trouble student, oh, call on, call on the guys from Physiotype or whatever, or or run them through the facial recognition uh, software or whatever. And let's just see, like maybe they're a certain type and maybe that'll help us make a decision. It would be one factor. And you, you did kind of touch on like the systematic way that this could affect education as well, right? Um, yeah, right. Like, let's say we find out that NTPs make terrible teachers for SFPs. Then we could just right off the bat make sure SFP kids don't end up with NTP teachers and vice versa. Yeah, that's probably more uh, dystopian and probably not a good idea. Yes. But it might. It's it's a possible application. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Maybe not a good idea, but... Maybe not an ethical application, but a possible one. Now, I I do think that this is the... At least the most easily applicable on the individual level. So, I don't know. Say I am... Say I am teaching a... You know, say I'm teaching a class full of kids. And one of the kids that... Otherwise, like his other classes, he's doing pretty well, but this class, he's just not doing well at all. So it's it's not just an issue of like he's dumber than the other kids, but something's going on here and he's not doing well in this class. Maybe I would realize that he is one of the few locals in the class. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I can't think of a class off the top of my head, but He's one of the few locals in the class, and that's why everyone else is doing well, but he's not. And it's because I've been explaining stuff in a very universal way, and so he's just he's just not getting it. I would then know, all right, I need to use more examples. I, I need to use more anecdotes. I need to use more specific terminology to get the point across. Or vice versa. You know, an SFP teacher might be teaching an environmental class, and all her SFP students are doing well. But there's this one NTJ kid that's just not getting it. Maybe she would then choose to use more broad terminology, use more broadly at- applicable uh, principles in her teaching lesson rather than just talk about a specific animal the whole class. I'm pretty sure that Meta learns better with first principles and Mesa learns better um, holistically with examples and stories. So basically what that means is like I'm super meta and I do learn better with first principles. So I kind of chunk all the way down. I like to know like why something is um, uh, the way it is. Um, I don't like to be given a tool and just be told this is how it works. And it's like, okay, technically I know how to use it, but I don't know why it's working. And so if it breaks, I can't fix it. If there's a weird edge case, I can't do anything about it. And so that's, that's, but if I know all the first principles and I learn from first principles, then I can rederive any complex subject instead of just memorizing complex stuff. So that's kind of like how I am, and I'm a, I'm meta. So I, I, and I do believe I've I, seen this in other meta people. They're more first principles learners. I agree. I agree. Um, and so and so to extend that thought, I I do think that by a meta person learning first principles, they can intuitively figure out the application better for example, yeah. or they can intuitively figure out like different examples of how this works. I think an, a meza person, a meza person seeing it working can gather the principle from it quicker. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think I mostly agree. I think it might just be like meta people have less of an intuition. 
And so like if you show a Mesa person like a tool, a complex tool and how to use it, they will just intuit how to use it. And they won't even, maybe they can't even explain how it works, but like they're really good at doing the thing because they intuit everything instantly. But for a meta person, I don't intuit anything. I see it and I'm just like, what the heck is that? And so it's about confidence, I feel like. Like messes are confident when they intuit something and they have the story and they have enough context and texture to feel like they own the tool or the domain or the the thought. But me as a meta, and I think this generally applies to other metas as well, I've noticed, is we feel confident when we understand the first principles that build up and result, the sum of those first principles that result in um, the thing that we're learning or doing. Yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, I I mean, I don't know. I, I think I've talked about this before, but I, I am of the opinion that Meza gathers information holistically, but also just because it's holistic, it's it's faster in a way in that they they need much less of an explanation. Uh, like you were saying, they see app, they see it in application. And even if it's not on a conscious level, their brain is definitely gathering what the principle is behind what's going on here. I don't think meta is anywhere near as capable at doing that. Um, it's like things need to be spelled out for me, for me to like, and once it's spelled out, I, I, I'm good, you know, I'm good. I'm done. But I, I do have a hard time just seeing someone use a tool, for example, and just knowing what it is they're doing and how they did it and why they did it. Yeah. Think about it this way. So when we read most of the time, actually, um, this is true, at least in English, and I'm pretty darn sure it's for the vast majority of people. We're not actually reading. Um, we're recognizing words. And so that sounds crazy, but it's like, no, we're recognizing those 10,000 words. We recognize thousands and thousands of words, and that's how you read. You're not... Right. We're not looking at each individual le letter of the word, um, you know, principle. Yeah. And you, saying, oh, it's a P, it's an R, it's an I, it's an N. It's a, so that spells principle. And then moving on to the next word. No, we're just saying... A shape. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens is when you come across a word you don't know, if you know how to spell, then now you can pronounce the word, even though you've never seen it before. And so in this sense, although most people do just recognize words, in this sense, recognizing the word itself and knowing how to pronounce it and what it means is mesa. Um, but maybe in this case, mesa wouldn't know how to spell and they couldn't learn a new word because they don't know what those 20, how those 26 letters combine. As opposed to um, meta, on the other end of the spectrum, they might have to spell every single word, even though they've seen it before, um, because they're very first principles and they're very comfortable with the letters, but maybe they're comfortable with the words. So maybe they're slower, but now if they see a new thing, they can figure it out without any without any help. But a mess of person, maybe they're faster and maybe they see a new thing and they're not going to figure it out is with without help. Or that's that's a that's like one potential way to explain this. It's, right, right, yeah. And that, that that's definitely an analogy. Like, I think almost everyone recognizes words. I don't think there's a big difference between meta and mess of reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just not, not to confound, like, first principles, like what you're talking about, with principles uh, having to do with, like, universal and abstract. Yeah, so another very similar word is axioms. So there are things that, generally first principles, I would say, are things that don't even require justifications. And... Maybe that's not, maybe you're not going all the way down the justification chain to learn, but you're going further down it. You're going down to a level where the justification is very micro, is very small. Um, I'm not explaining this well, 
first principles means um, you're chunked down very far. It may even be axiomatic. The first principle itself may not even be something that requires a justification. It may be a given. Um, and so that's that's the meta way to do things generally, or the more meta way. Going back to your tool example, like say someone has this special drill that they want you to use. If a person, if the person they want to use this drill is Meza, hypothetically anyways, the best way to get them to learn how to use that drill is by you, the teacher, using it first and showing them the entire process of using the drill. If the person, if your student is meta, you would want to explain this does this, this trigger does this, you connect the tip here, you let it spin clockwise, and then you release. You would want to break it down to its the tool's individual properties. And now here's the thing, you could break down those properties even more. And so it's really a spectrum of how far down you go, what we call this justification chain. So it's not as if I'm saying all metas must go down to the axiom. That's just insane. Like that means that everything would be like, you just, you'd be like invoking a deity every time you learned how to use a new <laughs> screwdriver or something. You know what I mean? So it's not really like you're always going down to an axiomatic level, but you are just going further down the justification chain kind of further down. Why, why, why you ask that question more when you're learning. Um, and it takes longer to learn lots of the time because of that, but maybe, maybe you're more flexible in the future. We've talked about meta versus meza applications of this, universal versus local applications of this. Prone versus supine, I don't really see any easy applications for this. Prone versus supine, I doesn't like they don't seem to affect teaching style very much or learning style rather. Yeah. Maybe maybe there is a pattern there. I just I haven't recognized one. Yeah. There could be one, but there's nothing me or Alex strongly think suggests that mm-hmm. um okay self-help therapy we've talked about this a bit before yeah. the better you know yourself the more likely you are to know where you need to improve um uh, now that works for yourself but that also works for your therapist the better your therapist knows you the more likely they are to offer advice that actually works and actually helps um, let's say someone comes to a therapist for marital advice, right? And the therapist thing, like, it's a little bit, it's not as good of an example because again, this works best in scenarios where the two people don't have a lot of time to talk to each other. But, you know, just, just to throw an application out there, let's say, uh, you know, I, let's say I come to my marriage counselor and I'm like, my wife is always annoyed at me. I don't know why. She asks me a question and I give her an answer and she just snaps. The marriage counselor could look at my eyebrows and be like, this guy is pretty supine. And then be like, well, what kind of questions is she asking? And I could be like, well, she's asking me what I want to do. And I don't know. I'm not sure. And the th- again, it's purely hypothetical here. But the marriage counselor could be like, well, maybe she's tired of hearing you say, I don't know. And she's tired of hearing you try to give her the uh, the final say all the time. Yeah, just mm-hmm. one example there. I'm sure there's better applications for this, but I think that's just a, something that popped in my head. It's a good example, and it's also a very common example too. That's that's actually a, it's a lot of uh, it's a it's a common relationship dynamic. I think there's deeper, like, not that that's not like 
I mean, I think that's a good application, but I think there's like deeper applications for this that I am not smart enough to think of off the top of my head. But yeah, I'm not a therapist, but I'm sure it'll help them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I feel like it kind of can be described as like two things. This general self-help, how physiotype can help self-help in general is um, if you know your predispositions and you will know predispositions better if you know your physiotype, then you will hate yourself less for the faults that you are predisposed to. You'll be like, everyone has faults. The reason why, you know, I have these faults, which I hate myself for is it's for a reason. I was born this way to an extent. Now it's not an excuse, right? But it can help alleviate some self-hate. Two, um, there was a second point I had. Maybe it was just that uh, you know how to help yourself now. You you um you know what kind of actions will cause you to change or something like that. I I think this has a huge like I think. I think this can help in a lot of ways, but I think a really big way physiotype can help the individual with, you know, in the self-help category is through like interpersonal relations. So like the thought that comes immediately to mind is let's say all their, all your life you have tried to make connections with people and people just kind of blow you off or they don't continue conversing with you. Um, they interrupt you, you know, things like this. And then you, you find out about physiotype and you find out, oh, I'm an NTJ. Oh, I'm like a really NI heavy NTJ too. Then you could look at that and you could be like NI heavy. So I'm really universal. Maybe I am too, I am too universal for the people around me. And maybe I need to start speaking in more local terms. And maybe all this, you know, maybe this interpersonal issue you've been having has really been a, com a communication issue and you just never realized it because you didn't realize just how different you were from the person next to you i think that's you put that great i think um kind of a one-off here but i think physiotype helps us realize that we are actually more different from each other than we intuit i believe and i think physiotype mm -hmm. supports that mm -hmm. we um <laughs> It's a rather cynical thing to say, but I think agreeableness is agreeableness is indicative or your level of agreeableness is indicative of your ability to fool yourself into thinking that someone else agrees with you. The more agreeable you are, the more you can delude yourself into thinking that you actually agree with someone when really maybe you never yes, will. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Definitely. Uh, this is this is kind of off topic, but I'm gonna say it anyways. Um, actually, it's like it's a whole rabbit hole, but I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. Um, off the assumption that we have free will, um, you know, I think the physiotype model works under that assumption. Um, physiotype is about how your brain does things. And your brain does things in the way that is most comfortable and most energy efficient for it to do those things. Your brain does not naturally go out of its way to do something that is less efficient for it. So going back to your point of 
is a is an agreeable person more likely to dilute themselves into thinking that they agree with another person? Definitely, because it is costs more for an agreeable person to disagree than for a disagreeable person to disagree. So if your brain decides what expends more energy, telling Alex that I agree with Colby or telling Alex that he should disagree with Colby. Um, obviously, the most energy efficient thing for me, Alex, a agreeable person, is to say, oh, yeah, I agree. That makes perfect sense. Now, knowing your physiotype can, again, let you know that you might be predisposed to this kind of self-delusion. So me knowing that I am an NFP and I'm a pretty supine guy, I could be in the middle of talking to Colby and my first my first instinct might be to agree with him. But now I can take a step back and think, am I agreeing with him because I actually agree with him? Or is it just because my brain told me to agree with him? And then that could lead to actually communicating better. Me actually saying what I actually think as opposed to just agreeing so that I don't have to keep uh listening to this guy yammer on <laughs> yeah yeah or or just to avoid discomfort on my you know of my yeah. own my opinion definitely is that you are not your physiotype your physiotype is something that you use but it does not define you uh what defines you are the actions you take and knowing your physiotype allows you to take better actions i think it's beautiful Thank you. Thank you. I practiced all night. Um, that's why you look so tired. <laughs> um, yeah, like I think it's true, though. I think, for, I mean, for everyone in a certain way, agreeing is easier. So there must be another factor involved. And I know you were kind of being analogous there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's that agreeing is E is difficult for disagreeable people. Well, it's, there's probably a competing thing. There's probably like there's a competing thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably like let's What's say there's easier, two things: agreeing or or compromising. Like maybe you have like this agreeability scale and you have this compromise scale. And I mean, uh, maybe Alex, maybe agreeable people are. It hurts them less to compromise, or maybe it hurts them equally to compromise, but it hurts a lot to disagree. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could imagine that it's like a there's two spectrums and they're weighted and that's what causes someone to agree agree or disagree. I mean, that's just like it's one way to view it and I think it's a reasonable way to think about it. The last one is business. Business? Yeah. That's kind of a um I almost shouldn't have added it cuz it's almost kind of like been talked about a lot throughout the everything else, right? So I guess just like um selling or buying is business to me. Um, that's kind of what I mean by it. So like, let's say that you're a big company acquiring another big company or something. If you can shave a million dollars off the price and we'll bring up Alex's example. Let's say the the business owner of this big company is an SFP and they love astrology and crystals and you wear your little purple crystal around your neck and bam, you just shaved a thousand or you shaved a million dollars off the acquisition price of their company. I mean, random, you know, I'm just making this up, but <laughs> Uh, it, 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 it creates the point, um, bargaining, buying, selling, um, convincing people of things. Um, yes, obviously physiotype will help in there. And we've pretty much covered all, all these principles already. So 
I'll I'll leave it at that. And then if you have anything to add, Alex, um, just you know, again, with the bigger the asset, the more time and energy you're gonna take into uh, finding the optimal the optimal course of action. So like, is physiotype useful when you're bargaining with someone on Craigslist about the um the uh the dresser like like sure but like you're maybe not <laughs> is physiotype useful when you're trying to buy a multi-million dollar company like percentage wise it's probably equally useful but suddenly a small percentage is a few million dollars so yeah you know you're gonna take every advantage you can get exactly <laughs> you like call up alex and colby i'm buying this 75 dollar dresser from this guy on craigslist i don't know how hard i should bargain i'm going to send you a picture of his face <laughs> please help me i uh, you know speaking from experience you should definitely bargain hard with nfps because we will back down um <laughs> I did. Uh, I did remember the thing I wanted to say about the self help. Just one other thing. Oh, um, lots of the time we can be sad and not know why we're sad. Do you think that's true, Alex? Yes. Yes. I think that's more true with some people than others, but I think that is true for everyone. Yes. If you're a therapist and your client is sad and they don't know why they're sad, and your client is an SFJ and you're a therapist who's very into physiotype, right? That's in the scenario. Then maybe one of your first pertinent questions would be like, "What is your social life like?" Because yeah. they're an FE dom type, an FE dominant type. And so it's probably important for their mental health to have friends. And they might not even know that. Um, and mm-hmm. the person would say like, oh, I have one friend kind of. And they're like, okay, well, that, you should maybe start there. Just, you know, as a, it's like an overly, overly simplified explanation, right? Or if the therapist right, right. has an SFP client who's sad and doesn't know why they're sad, be like, do you have a strong sense of identity? Who are you? Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe the SFP doesn't have a strong sense of identity and that's why they're sad. Like these are very derivative, simplistic examples, but it, uh, provides the point that obviously this has a place in therapy and, um, understanding where pain or sadness comes from. I think, and again, like, you know, being a therapist, you might, you, you get lots of opportunities to talk to this person. So yes, maybe you would have come to these conclusions anyways, but how many sessions would it have possibly taken? Like, you might not have reached this conclusion on the first session. With physiotype, hypothetically, you could. You could find the solution much quicker just because you have so much more information already available from the first interaction. Hey guys, uh, this is Alex here from the future. Um, I am recording this uh, in post. Uh, so it probably doesn't sound as good as usual, but I went ahead and did this anyways, because announcement time, uh, we have an Instagram now. Woo. Yeah. The link will be in the show notes. Um, go check it out. We already have a few posts up showing some faces of some famous people and explaining why they are the type they are. So if you want to have your own opportunity to guess people's types, to understand a little better of how we are doing what we're doing, I highly recommend checking it out. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. See you in the next episode.